Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. So last week, um, we ended with chapter 2, starting verse 23, that said, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. And when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man, for sure. God knew man. He knew what was in man's heart. And today, we're actually going to meet what I would call one of the best men comes and meets with Jesus. And so we see, basically, the best that man has to offer. And he comes in, and he sits down and has a conversation with Jesus. I think it is really interesting if you look at 2.25 and verse 3.1. Do you see how many times it says man? Man. 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 What is the point? Nicodemus is coming, and he's just a... He's just a man. Now, he's a pretty great representation of what man can be because when he shows up, we know, number one, that he is a Jew. He is a part of God's chosen people. He is a Pharisee. What does that mean? He is highly disciplined. He understands self-denial for sure. He is devout. He is highly educated. Not only that, not only was he a Jew and not only was he a Pharisee, but he is a ruler, which means he is an influencer. He has great power. And later on, we're going to see that he is described as the teacher. The teacher. He was the most highly respected teacher in Israel. And so, in one sense, it is highlighted that he is merely man, but when it comes to what kind of man, oh, I guess we could consider him some of the best that man has to offer, and he comes to Jesus. And so let's read, let's read the first two verses and break it down. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Um, by the way, Nicodemus actually means victory of the people. And so here comes this man, but this victory of the people, and he comes to Jesus at night. Why? Well, people speculate why. Um, maybe he comes at night because he's trying to do it under the radar. You've maybe you've heard that. Or that he comes at night because the crowd has gone home and he really would like to sit down and have a deep private conversation, teacher to teacher, with Jesus. I can't tell you why he came at night, but I do believe it signifies something. I do believe the fact that he came at night signifies the darkness of his understanding. He's in the dark. And isn't it interesting that he is coming and sitting before the light of the world? John 1, 5, do you remember what it says? The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. But I'm going to tell you what, the darkness will soon be dissipated as Jesus reveals the light of truth in Nicodemus's life. And just maybe on this night, something will dawn. See how I did that? Uh, in Nicodemus, because I do believe it does. I do believe scripture down the road does show us that there is a life change in Nicodemus. He called him teacher. That is a term of honor, especially coming from who? The teacher. The question is, I think it's interesting that he looks at Jesus and he calls him the teacher, but I wonder at all if he would refer to himself this night as the student. <clears throat> is he going to actually learn anything? Did he truly come to learn? <clears throat> Nicodemus says, listen, there's one thing I know. No one could do the signs that you've been doing unless God was with them. And so remember last week how I said the signs to some would be a testimony, pointing the way to Jesus. And to others, signs are a what? A test. Remember how we talked about that? Have you, did you laugh about that later on in the week of how in the world can people see a set of facts and come away differing on what they saw? Do you remember this from last week? How in the world do you literally watch a man come out of a stinking grave wrapped in burial cloths and people look at that and come to two different conclusions? That just shows me right there, there ain't nothing new under the sun. Because I'm like, really? Give you a sign, I raised a dead man. And you still didn't get it, right? But for Nicodemus, it must have been a testimony. Because he said, I do not believe anybody can do what you do unless God is with them. In other words, as far as I can see, all the signs are pointing to you. Are you the hope of Israel? Are you the one who will usher in the kingdom? Did you notice that he didn't really ask a question? He made a statement. So the question was where? It was in his heart. Who can read the heart? Jesus. Jesus can read the heart. He knew the heart. And so therefore, he went ahead and answered it. Just more proof of his deity. So Jesus answered him. He answered the question that was in his heart. The question, did he come wanting to know about the kingdom? Did he come wanting to be a part of the kingdom? Did he come maybe wanting to be in the leadership of the kingdom? Whatever it was, the question residing in his heart had to do with the kingdom of God. And Jesus knew the question, and so he gives the answer. And he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow. Jesus told him he couldn't even see the kingdom unless he was born again. Do you know what a shock that was? I mean, wait a minute. Before we even talk about the impossibility of being born again, think about what he was saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jew. Nicodemus was a part of God's family, God's chosen people, 
What do you mean I can't see the kingdom? I'm in the kingdom. I'm a part of the people who are to usher in the kingdom. Remember, all nations will be blessed through us. And in case you forget that, the Jews would be really quick to remind you, right? That all nations would be blessed through them. The question is, how were all nations blessed through them, right? Jesus, right? It's always funny to me when someone has to pronounce who they are instead of displaying who they are. That's your first thought that, yeah, not so much. But he was a Jew. And this is saying it didn't matter. Not only that, he was a Pharisee. He had studied and worked his entire life. He memorized the scripture. He had been dedicated to obeying the law. Are you telling me that none of that counts? You're telling me that I have to completely start over? Well, let me ask you. If all of his studying had not helped him to recognize the one it was all about, what do you think? That would have been a hard pill to swallow. Looking back, filling your life was a waste. That's hard. When you realize that all you've strived for is not, that somehow you've missed the mark, that's when hopelessness can threaten to strangle the life right out of you. And to be quite honest, that's where pride can make you blind. But when we give our brokenness to Jesus, he redeems and uses it for new and glorious purposes. He uses the brokenness. But, but imagine how hard that was for Nicodemus. Have you ever gotten to a place in your life where you had to look back and you realized, how could I have missed that? How could I have been so wrong? And you had to sit in it? I love this song. I'm going to refer to two songs today. And maybe you can listen to them this week uh, afresh. But it's, it's by a group called I Am They. And it's the song, it's called Scars. It says, waking up to a new sunrise, looking back from the other side. I can see now with open eyes, darkest water and deepest pain. I wouldn't trade it for anything because my brokenness brought me to you. And these wounds are a story that you will use. So I'm thankful for the scars because without them, I wouldn't know your heart. And I know they'll always tell of who you are. So forever, I am thankful for the scars. Now I'm standing in confidence with the strength of your faithfulness. And I'm not who I was before. No, I don't have to fear anymore. So I'm thankful for the scars. Because without them, I wouldn't know your heart. And I know they'll always tell of who you are. So forever, I am thankful for the scars. It says, I can see, I can see how you delivered me. In your hands, in your feet, I found victory. Nicodemus' life was dedicated to the black and white print of the law, to piety. But he was literally talking to the Logos, the living word, the living, breathing word. And unless he allowed that breath to breathe in him, the spirit to breathe a new birth, new life into him, his life would be as dead as the print on a page. And not only did he need to allow God to breathe a breath into his life, but how about into everything that he had studied? 
Had it really been a waste? Can you imagine what will happen in the life of Nicodemus if the Spirit of God breathes into all that he has studied and it actually becomes alive? So in some ways, not only would he be born again, but all of his work would be born again. And can you imagine how God could use that? Just ask Paul. I can understand that. There were some things for a very long time I taught because I knew it. I knew it. And I studied it and I studied it and I gained up all this knowledge and I knew it. But I'm going to tell you what, it wasn't until the freaking wheels fell off that I had to use it and experience it and be broken in it. And then when that happened, can I just tell you something new birth? I didn't teach anything new, but I taught it in a new spirit-filled way because I had experienced it. It was life and death to me. And this is the message that he's trying to get across is, listen, we're going to see in a minute, flesh just breeds flesh. Spirit breeds spirit. But Nicodemus' response, look at verse 4. Nicodemus says, now hold up. If you're looking for that, that's half power version. Now hold up. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's like, great. How is this even possible? I came here hoping to see a glimmer of true light, hoping that I had read the signs correctly, hoping you would have good news regarding the kingdom. And now you tell me, me, that I have to be born again, that I have to start over? This is impossible. And Jesus said what? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Do you understand that's the point of the story? Yes, this is impossible. That is correct. You've correctly come to that conclusion because what I'm saying is impossible for you. You can't do it. Jesus answered and said, truly, truly. In other words, bingo. Yeah, yes, yes. I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So this whole idea of being born of water and spirit, how many of you have looked at this before? Okay, being born of water and spirit, if you've studied it. If you study this, some people think that being born of water and then Spirit is talking about baptism or believer's baptism. I don't think that's what this is talking about. I don't believe that's what this is talking about because the theme of this passage is new birth or new life. And baptism is actually a picture of death, not new life. Baptism is a picture that we are identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection. And some people come to this conclusion because one of the cross-references is Acts 2.38, which says this, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, all this, although this is true, this is an outward display of something that's happened inwardly. I do not believe that baptism is a must or a requirement to salvation. What baptism is, it's your first act of obedience. Why would you not follow in obedience when you've had a life change? It is an outward display of what has happened inwardly to you. You're saying, I am showing the world, I am committing that I am identifying with Christ in baptism and I have been given a brand new life and I have received the Spirit. And so I now go out changed. And so that is what baptism is. I don't believe, though, that to be born of water and spirit necessarily is talking about baptism. Do I believe you need to be baptized? Yes. Yes, I do. Because it is that outward display. It's your first act of obedience of following Christ. Now, I do, however, believe that he is talking about physical birth and spiritual birth. In order to see the kingdom, he says... Man must be born of water, representing physical birth. We know that. We're born in water. My water broke. And so it is a picture of a physical birth. And he said, and the spirit, representing a whole different birth, a spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit must give birth to spirit. Our physical birth brings physical life. Yet because of sin, we are born alive physically, but we remain dead spiritually. Ephesians 2.1 says this, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What does dead mean to you? Dead. Okay? You cannot even see God or see a sign unless you have been given a quickening, eyes open. And so it literally says, yes, although we have been born physically, although our eyes receive light, spiritually, we remain in the darkness because we are dead in our sins. That means that we are in desperate need of the Spirit because only the Spirit can birth what? Spirit. And so we need the Holy Spirit. What spirit? The one that hovered over the deep. That one, do you remember? The engine. The one that the word of God set into motion. And by the way, the spirit that breathed into the word of God, if you remember from our beginning uh, lessons, who breathed into the word of God, and this word infused in the spirit became the creating force behind all things. That is the spirit that we need for regeneration. There must be a spiritual awakening. There must be a new birth. There needs to be a new creation. We must be given eyes to see because physically, naturally, we do not have the eyes to see spiritual things. John 6, 63 says this. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The message version says this. The spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything happen. Every word I've spoken to you is the spirit word, and so it is life-making. Now, I want to look at it even deeper. 
So let's look at this idea of being born of water and spirit from an Old Testament perspective, because that is how it would have fallen on Nicodemus. Because we are not sure that when Nicodemus heard those words that they would have referred to physical birth in the terms of born of water. But what they were familiar with is all through the Old Testament, there was this idea of water and um, spirit being about spiritual renewal, about cleansing. I mean, that makes sense. We know that in the Old Testament, water represents cleansing, and water was usually symbolic of what? The Word of God, the washing of the Word. So let's use a reference that Nicodemus, I am sure, had memorized, Ezekiel 36. And you can go back and look and read the entire chapter. I'm going to summarize it a little bit for you, but basically, he is talking about the restoration Okay, of the nation, and he is saying there will be a time when I will come and I will gather you back and I will bring you to your land for my name's sake. And he is saying, I will vindicate my name amongst the nations and I will vindicate my name from how you've represented it, but here is what I'm going to do. And starting in verse 24 through 27, he says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. So there will be restoration. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I want you, when you look at that scripture, now remember, Nicodemus would have known this scripture. Who is doing all the action? Let me read it to you again. And I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." Even in this sense, even in the Old Testament sense of water and spirit being about spiritual renewal, it's all about God and nothing about them. Even in this sense, the point of Jesus' words are you can't cleanse yourself by following the law any more than you can jump back in your mother's womb. That's the point. That is the point of this story. Nicodemus had gotten where he was by living according to the letter of the law. A life of standard, self-denial, discipline, outward cleansing. Can you imagine the cleansing they went through? He was trying to do physically or in the flesh what could only be done, what? Spiritually. Which reminds me, since we're in Ezekiel, do you remember what the very next chapter is about? There's 36, and then there's Ezekiel 37. It's the dry bones, right? And so he would have known this, wouldn't he? 
about what brought together the dead, the dry bones, the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the great wind of God. You know that song? We call out to dry bones, come alive, come alive. Y'all don't know that? We call out to dead hearts, come alive, come alive. Up out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. We call out to dry bones, come alive. I mean, you're going to listen to that song in a fresh way this week. Put it on, right? It says, breathe, O breath of God. Now breathe, O breath of God. What is he saying? There is nothing we can do for regeneration that is physical, that is flesh. We can't do it. We receive it because it is a gift of the Spirit. Only the Spirit can birth Spirit. And this is what he's trying to tell him. And not just him. But Nicodemus is a representation of what? Man. And not only man, but the nation of Israel. Do you realize that the nation of Israel was called to be a light to the world? But what had happened? They had hidden their light under the bushel of legalism. Trying to obey the rules. They tried to go through the letter of the law or obey the letter of the law without understanding the spirit of the law. 1 Corinthians says that's impossible. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 14, it says this. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. It's foolishness. They don't get it. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The message says this. The Spirit, not content to flit around on the surface, dives into the depths of God and brings out what God planned all along. Whoever knows what you're thinking and planning except you yourself. The same with God. Except that he not only knows what he's thinking, but he lets us in on it. God offers a full report on the gifts of life and salvation that he is giving us. We don't have to rely on the world's guesses and opinions. We didn't learn this by reading books or going to school. We learned it from God who taught us person to person through Jesus. And we're passing it on to you in the same firsthand personal way. The unspiritual self, just as it is by nature, can't receive the gifts of God's Spirit. There's no capacity for them. They seem like so much silliness. Spirit can be known only by spirit. God's spirit and our spirits in open communion. Have you ever tried to put in words what the spirit is telling you? I have to do it every week. And I promise you, there is so much that is being impacted and transformed in me that I don't even have the capacity to put in words for you. There are things I am being taught that only the spirit can teach my spirit. And some of that 
I can be a good teacher and put it in some form where maybe you understand it, but much of what is transpiring is between my spirit and his spirit. It's a personal conversation. Spiritually alive, we have access to everything God's spirit is doing and can't be judged by unspiritual critics. Isaiah's question, is there anyone around who knows God's spirit? Anyone who knows what he is doing has been answered. Christ knows, and we we have Christ's spirit. That's beautiful. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 through 14 in the message. Now Jesus, the lifelight, is attempting to blaze this truth into Nicodemus' darkness. He's saying this. These are my words. Nicodemus, allow me to give you a new spirit. To remove the heart of stone. To give you a heart of flesh. Allow me to breathe into you and into all you have studied. I will, sh- I will shine light so you can see me in the scriptures that you know so well. Can you imagine what would have happened with that kind of vast knowledge and discipline if the Spirit of God had breathed into it? And it says, why do you marvel? What does that tell us? He's marveling. He's pondering. This is a big deal because what he is telling Nicodemus is absolutely opposite of everything he has learned his entire life. This is a big deal and he's marveling. But Jesus is saying, listen, Nicodemus, if you can't see me, the living word right in front of you, everything you've studied in flesh right in front of me, how in the world you, how how in the world are you going to see the kingdom? The point Jesus is making is you don't control your spiritual birth any more than you controlled your physical one. Let me ask you, what control did you have over your physical birth? Zero. And you know what? You want to know what control you have over your spiritual birth? Zero. He was making entrance into the kingdom contingent on something that could not be obtained by human effort. That is the point. So, Nicodemus is still marveling, so the teacher teaches. He goes at it again. Listen, I've done this. If you're a good teacher, right, you teach it, you think, oh, that was so good. Surely you will get this. I've experienced this. And I'm teaching, and I'm thinking, oh, I didn't even know I knew this stuff. Oh, this is so good, so good. And I look in the eyes of my students, and I could tell. Didn't get it, right? I remember even when I taught math, I thought, oh my gosh, I explained that so well. There is no way somebody won't get it. And then there is that someone. And they look at you and they're like, I didn't get it. And so what would I do? Well, I would dance. I would sing. I would rap. I would do anything I could to come at a different angle so they would get it. So what does Jesus do? He uses something physical that he can talk about to explain something spiritual. He teaches the teacher. And this is what he says. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What's his point? Nicodemus. You can't control your spiritual birth any more than you can control the wind. You don't know from whence it comes 
You don't know where it's going. It's going to blow wherever it wishes. But you can experience it. This is not about power. It's about posture. It reminds me so much, and I've used this before, the eagle. Perfect analogy of this, another way to teach, right? The eagle. The eagle would make its home at the highest place possible where it could listen, it could hear the wind. And the eagle, if you watch it, the eagle's not like most birds. It just flaps its wings to death. That's, that's what I'm like most days, just trying to make things happen, make stuff happen. Let's just keep going. I'm going to make some stuff happen, flapping my wings, wearing myself absolutely out because I think I need to make things happen. It's all up to me. The world's all up to me. This person's salvation depends on me. This person's sanity depends on me. Everything is riding on me. I'm just flapping. That's what I do, right? Control, control. But no, the eagle comes to the edge of the highest cliff, sheer cliff site. Where are you? Right there. And what does he do? He tenses every muscle in his body and he waits. He takes the correct posture. He's ready, but he waits. And what is he listening for? The wind. And wherever the wind is, when the wind comes by, because Lord knows you don't control the wind, but what you can do is release. And when you do, oh, man, do you soar and experience the wind. I'll never forget when I saw the movie Finding Nemo and that whole, the whole issue of the East Australian current. When Nemo finally got in the current, it was like, Yes, he's riding the current. That is what I believe it feels like when you get caught up in the Spirit of God. You're just a tool. God is using you. It is the Spirit. He's telling him, listen, this is not anything you can do, nothing you can control. You don't have power over it, but you can experience it. But what it means is release. This is something you receive. This is not something you boast over. This is something that you allow to happen. And so he is saying these things to him. The effects of the wind can be observed. The same is true for the Spirit's work of regeneration. It can't be controlled or predicted, but it can be seen in a transformed life. You don't have to tell me you've experienced Jesus. Because guess what? I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it in a transformed life. By behaviors, by keeping the rules, no. Because you're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You will show a transformed life. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Mm. Now, don't be so hard on Nicodemus. It is so easy to judge the other side when we're in the side of grace and spiritual enlightenment. But don't judge Nicodemus. This is a 180 degree flip from what he had known. I mean, he had seen the signs. 
He had seen the signs, and they were all pointing to Jesus being the Messiah. He came to inquire, to join, to lead. His intentions were good. He came as a Jew, and not just a Jew, but a Pharisee. But Jesus is speaking to him like a man, and he says, you can't lead what you can't even see. Nicodemus, you have to start again. Nothing you have done has gained entrance. His question fits. How can these things be? And that is the teacher, Jesus says. This is the best that religion has to offer? Blindness? So what is the answer? Well, I don't have a ton of time, but I want to finish up this thought. It says this. So are you the teacher of Israel, verse 10, and yet do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Who's the we? Well, we've had a lot of testimony in John. Okay, there's been all kinds of testimony. John the Baptist has a testimony. The disciples are there. They've made testimony. How about the testimony of the Father through the signs? How about the testimony of the Spirit? We have given testimony of what we have seen, but you won't receive it. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Like, I have told you about the beginning, the entrance about spiritual birth, and I have used every earthly thing I can imagine to explain to you this spiritual thing. It is spiritually discerned. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has ascended from heaven, the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying what? I'm telling you about things that I know, that I've seen. And here's the kicker. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. So the question is, wait a minute, this is impossible. Yeah, it is. You can't do it. What you do is receive. Then how is it possible? I've made it possible. How? Just like the serpent of the Old Testament, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What's that story? I think it's found in Numbers 21. I didn't look that up, but I'm pretty sure it's Numbers 21. And it's the story of how the Israelite nation is finally, the second generation grown up, uh, they're finally moving to their land under the leadership of Moses. And on the way, they come to the land of Edom, which, by the way, was one of their relatives through Esau. And they asked for passage through Edom. But the Edomites said, no, thank you. You may not go through. And because of that, they had to take a detour, which, which brought a huge delay. And they started, they were ticked. Well, let me ask you, do you like detours and delays? I don't. Especially when you're trying to get to home goods or wherever it is you're going. All right. And I don't like standing in line. Okay, especially when I don't believe in it, right? I mean, come on, don't act like we don't grumble or have attitudes. I'm like, forget it, there ain't nothing in home goods worth that. I'm not standing in line. I'm not standing on a dot. I am not a kindergartner holding the knot of a rope, just walking my way through life. Like, that's how I feel, right? So don't act like we don't grumble because we're brats, okay? 
Here's the thing. They are so mad. They're on the way to the promised land, and they get a detour, so they grumble against God. Now, God has put up with these stiff-necked people, and this is the second generation. What the heck do they know about slavery? God has protected them through the wilderness this entire time, right? And so anyway, he allows these serpents to come in and sting them, and it is painful. It literally like a hot, horrible pain, and it leads to death. These fiery serpents, the scripture calls it. And so they cry out to Moses after they've been talking smack to him. They're like, okay, we take it all back. Would you please just go to God on our behalf and ask him to take these serpents away? And what does God tell him? The craziest thing. I want you to go and make a bronze serpent and raise it up on a pole so that if the people look at it, they will live. Are you kidding me? This makes no sense whatsoever. Could have sworn it wasn't too long ago on a big old mountain called Sinai that you told us we were to make no graven images, no images, no idols. So now you want me to make an image of a serpent and put it up on a pole. Can you imagine what the people were thinking? I mean, they're dying, and Moses is in shop class over there making a bronze serpent. And you know they're walking in. Their children are dying. They're dying. People are dying. It's painful. And he's over there making an image. And he says, if you are bit and you look, you will live. What is the point? Let me tell you the point. First off, it's believing what God says. Why a serpent? What was killing them? Serpent. You need to look at what is killing you and live. Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin for us. What is killing you? Sin. He became sin. So just like Moses and the serpent must be lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? Because you believe, you look and you believe. It's as simple as that. You believe, you believe who I say that I am and that what I've done for you and you accept it by faith. You look and you live. What a concept for Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a part of the kingdom, rule the kingdom, lead the kingdom. Dude, you can't even see the kingdom. You're dead. You're dead. Physical births, physical. Spiritual births, spiritual. There has to be a spirit that births spirit. This is nothing you can do. You're right. It is impossible. It would be like jumping back in your mother's womb. That is impossible. This is something you receive. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new spirit. How? It's simple. Look and live. It's all about Jesus. And when we look and live, what happens? That spirit that breathed into the word that was the creating force behind all things will breathe into us and we will become, it's regeneration, we will become alive in the spirit. And we will have a spirit that connects with his spirit and then we are on our journey. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He is the creator of all things. Remember, he is the life light. He is the logos. He is the one that created all things, hold all things together. He was in the beginning with God before the beginning began. He is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is the Christ, the Messiah. 
He is the one the Old Testament prophets preached about that Moses spoke about. He is all those things, and he is the bronze serpent that was raised up. Look and live. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your scripture. Lord, I am so thankful that I looked and lived. Lord, I am so thankful that I have a spirit that connects with yours. Lord, that even if my spirit is broken, your spirit connects with my spirit. And it gives me the courage for another step. And Lord, even in brokenness, you can use us in amazing ways through our scars. So God, may we walk out of here singing the song. We crawl out, we call out to dry bones, come alive. We call out to dead hearts, come alive. Up out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. We call out to dry bones, come alive. Breathe on us, O breath of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.